This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. This is Mike at I am Mike White on the Twitters. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hi guys. Hello. Hey listeners How's and, it going? and you guys who are not listeners. <laughs> right. They're watching us? They're watching no, us. no, you two. Us. Oh. I listen to the podcast every week. I don't know about you guys. Totes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every, yeah. No, I don't have room for it on yeah. my queue. No, oh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> every every <laughs> I uh, I listen well, I listen to it when I, I listen, edit it. I listen to the good topics. Yeah, not the stupid ones. I don't listen to the stupid ones. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, that's ah. right. No, yeah, I listen to it when I edit it, and then I listen to other podcasts. Sweet. Yeah. Which I have considerable less time to do that because I'm working a different shift now. Right. So. Me too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Did either one of you guys listen to Startup, by the way? No. No? Still not? Okay. Have not time. When, when did you tell us to listen to that? <laughs> uh, Friday. Night. Oh, yeah. No, I don't Night. listen to the weekends yeah. podcasts. Ah, uh, yeah. Check it out. It's definitely awesome. And listeners, check it out. It's definitely awesome. If you're into podcasts, listen to it. Okay. Um, yeah. Can do. Cool. So, Tiny. What's up? Do you want to take the bridge of the ship and explain what we're doing today? That's a strange reference, given what we're talking about. It is. It is. Do you, wanna, <laughs> do you want to take care of... As a caretaker of this episode, I was going to say, do you want to get out of the bathtub? And <laughs> random. Very random, which isn't a reference. I'm just, I'm kind of really nervous about the podcasting equipment with you in the bathtub. Right now. Yeah, that is weird that you guys are yeah, doing that. I was recording the bathtub. What's wrong with that? Well, it's just making me uncomfortable because you keep kicking my feet, <laughs> and I'm getting a little pruney too. <laughs> We are not in a bathtub. We are, Repeat. We are not in a bathtub together. We're not in a bathtub together. Today. It's no. more of a shower that we're sitting in. <laughs> not that we've never done that. No. <laughs> not that we don't plan to do that every week. Right, right, right. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway, so this took a weird turn. A little bit. Not really weird for us, but... <laughs> no, not really. Um, today, we are here to do a formal debate. Yes. Yeah, it's like professional and... It's like we're at an Ivy League school and two highly qualified people are... We are trained debaters. Well, masters absolutely. of our craft. You might call us master debaters. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are going to discuss... Actually, it will be Matt and Mike discussing the merits and the qualities of the film The Shining. The perfection of The Shining. Oh. See, I said... I said before we did this, if you say perfection, this debate is over. <laughs> oh, man. Because I sincerely hope nobody listening thinks The Shining is a perfect movie. Yeah. Other than Matt. Mm. Other than Matt. All right. Well, let's, let's we'll do see. This then. Yeah. Here we go. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a pretty short debate if that's the position you're taking. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, um, Tiny, do you want to give a breakdown of the kind of structure Matt, of it? That's sweating. 
one is, well, it's perfect. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lee Unkirk, the director of Toy Story 3, it's his favorite movie, Case Closed. <laughs> it's actually true. Wow. Yeah. They you, have a. You would know that. Yeah, there's a scene in Toy Story 3 where I think it's where the monkey is watching the security footage of the daycare, and it's. Uh, I think the pattern on the wall matches the carpet in The Shining, and that's his that's his little nod to The Shining in, in Toy Story 3. That was such a funny sentence you just said. The monkey was watching the security footage on the television. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I was trying to make a uh, matches the carpet joke. Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the bathtub. The bathtub, yeah. yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Another yeah, weird turn. Yeah. We are taking some weird turns. Yeah. What's going on tonight? <laughs> so if you are unaware, unaware, the movie The Shining came out in the year 1980. It is uh, written and directed by the untouchable Stanley Kubrick. The perfect Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is based on the very popular novel by a guy named, uh, St- what is it, Step- Stephen-, Stephen? Stephen Kang? Is it? Step no, no. Steve- King King Stephen Stephen oh Stephen King that's yeah he uh, Uncle Stevie <laughs> it's Stephen King Gross. Stephen King <laughs> and so Stephen King wrote some important novels right like uh, Twilight I swear uh, to God Mike <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding I'm kidding we all know Stephen King from the Goosebumps series uh, oh uh, <laughs> oh but uh, anyway. yes. The Shining is about a family that uh, heads up to an isolated hotel in the uh, Rocky Mountains in Colorado. And but is it? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> it's a mystery. But they head up to this hotel where uh, Jack Torrance, the main character, will be the caretaker for the hotel that shuts down over the winter because of its isolation and the, the location and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And um, from there, things happen. Things happen. Yeah. If you don't know what The Shining's That's about, why are you listening to right. this? Really, I mean, <laughs> yeah. You've never read the book and seen the movie. You know what it's about. Well, right. some right. people might just like our voices. Oh, right? They might be into the show and, and following us weekly. And today, they they want to dip their toes into the world of The Shining. And so they want to they want us to help them pop their cherry. <laughs> their shining cherry. <laughs> yes. Dip their toes into a large vat of blood that fell out of an elevator door. Yes. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Do we want them to listen to it if they haven't seen The Shining, though? Because I feel like we'll probably get into some spoiler stuff. Yeah, it'd be better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It'd be better to watch the movie before. Yeah. yeah. Well, how about this? It, it depends on whatever you want. Because I've listened to things where I haven't seen the movie, but I, I kind of just like the discourse. and uh, Sure. Um, it, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, the movie has been out for 34 years, so if you if you want to go back and check it out, Go ahead and do that. If somehow you've missed it and don't care and just like our voices, hopefully uh, you you'll dig with what we you'll dig what we say and you'll agree with what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with most of what you just said. <laughs> um. <laughs> so uh, the film stars again, if you're unaware, uh, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, also Scatman Crothers. <laughs> Such a great name. Yeah. Um, it's a really fun movie. Um, again, and more than anything, it stars Stanley Kubrick's camera. It does. <laughs> um, so today the debate will be structured, but only semi-structured. We mm-hmm. won't have like time limits and stuff like that. Right. But I will absolutely 
interrupt the crap out of you guys. If you go <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, I will be acting as moderator, if you couldn't tell. Um, and we'll be doing sort of like a point against or a point for, and then we will do a rebuttal from the other person. Um, and there'll be a little break in the middle. I'll kind of talk about the book a little bit. Um, then we'll have closing remarks, and I will be the judge. Yes. Actually, we'll let you guys be the judge. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Tanya will give an overview. I will. I will. So, or an um, overlook. <laughs> oh, look at this guy. Uh, get it? Because Overlook Hotel. Jeez. Yeah. Topiaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, ah. Anyways, so let's, uh, let's head into the labyrinth and yes. talk about this movie. Uh, Matt, or I'm sorry. Yeah, Matt will be opening up, correct? That's Matt. But you're going to be starting, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to start with the opening... Uh, Opening remarks slash yes. statements of opinion. Okay. So Matt, Matt will go first. Okay. So I, I'll say from the start that I don't think this is a perfect movie. I don't think that Stanley Kubrick is a perfect filmmaker. Well, I'm out. <laughs> but what I will say is that I don't, I don't know what Mike is going to say. Like he and I did not get together and, and talk about what points we're going to bring up. But I will say that he has said in the past that he feels that The Shining is a tonal masterpiece, but that it's hampered by Kubrick being overindulgent and being just basically a show-off. Uh, I don't, like I said, I don't know what points he's going to make, or do I know if those are his his actual points of view on the, on the movie, or if, it's, or if he has deeper thoughts about it. Um, I agree that it is a tonal masterpiece, and I explain. I plan to explain why it's deserving of its acclaim. Um, uh, that what Mike and what others may feel is overindulgence is actually brilliant, calculated decisions made by Kubrick to con- create an immersive and terrifying movie, which is at the heart what The Shining is. It's immersive. It's terrifying. It's very eerie. It's very mood disorienting. Um, and it's just it's a very well paced well structured movie about insanity and about isolation and it's something that's done incredibly well on both sides of the camera Shelley Duvall notwithstanding um <laughs> so that's basically the statement of my position on the shining i love it and and yeah okay yes that that's, That's your opening <laughs> remark from uh, Matt Hurt, yes. who is in favor okay. of the film. And up next, we have uh, Mike White, who's a 2009 graduate of the United or the University of Southern Indiana. <laughs> he is currently. I'm just. I'm not going to go into all that. <laughs> so, Mike. Uh, you're up. Yeah, I, I guess I'll start. I guess briefly with an opening statement that I think these debate segments that we do, Matt, Tiny, they should be called unpopular opinions because we never really <laughs> tackle things that the general public is split on. Mm. Really, we True. just take a popular opinion, and one of us tries to subvert and expose that opinion. <laughs> the, you know, me with Breakfast Club, Matt, you with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, and so this time we're tackling Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. So uh, I think that most people, and I'm well aware that most people revere The Shining to be uh, just a shining piece of a piece of filmmaking, uh, and I think a lot of people do think it's perfect, which I think is problematic. And I and I know Matt that you don't, I and I understand that you're able to see its flaws. Um, I guess my main point 
is that I think it's I think it's overrated, and that's kind of where where I'm going to start from. Um, I called it Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, and I think that should be the full title of it. We'll talk about that more later on, but the film version is absolutely Kubrick's uh, version, and that's important when you consider the adaptation. Um, I also like. Like I said, I need to add that I'm aware of the merits of the movie, and I've said before, like you said, that it's absolutely gorgeous to look at, um, and I think the I think the piece is a is a masterclass on mood and tone. Um, but the reason we're having this debate is because I've never been able to find a way into The Shining. Uh, it's not at all a formative movie in my history as a critic or an obsessive viewer. Uh, and I thought for a long time that that was because my connection to horror is through tension. Um, Halloween is the shining example here, pun intended. And so I never gave The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, uh, much thought until now, until lately, really. I think it lacks something. So so we should start here. So m- my first argument, if you don't mind, is um, I'll reference an article I read by a guy named Walter Metz titled Toward a Post-Structural Influence and Film Genre Study, Intertextuality in The Shining. Uh, And he identifies a liminal quality in the movie where it struggles to find an identity in a genre. So, like, he basically asks, is this movie a horror movie or is it a family melodrama? And he says this creates a problem because it doesn't do enough of either. Uh, And the times where it does do horror, it's actually kind of those cheap scores. Uh, scares at the end, which I think a lot of people would agree, like the skeletons in the room are are kind of anti-Kubrickian and, and, and they feel weird. And then the family melodrama, uh, there's there's not enough of it. So one of the main criticisms of the movie is that it doesn't address the human psychological drama the way King's novel does. So as a fan of the novel, Matt, can you can you speak to that? And the and speak to how it's adapted and everything? Well, can you can you speak to uh, if the movie purports to be this psychological drama? Uh, why do I feel, and why do other people feel like it doesn't do that well enough? You know, when when you put it in that in those terms, I kind of immediately want to say like, well, maybe you're just too hung up on the novel. But I know that I don't I don't know if you've ever read the novel, have you? I've only read about half <clears throat> of it. So then that throws that out out of there. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't find a problem with with it being a psychological thing. I don't see the disconnect there of it, of it being part, uh, uh, of it either being horror or a family melodrama. I see it as just being this this guy who's already kind of a little a little crazy from the start. He's mm-hmm. in this he's in this environment that breathe that that um that really just takes hold of that and expands it and creates like uh, a malevolent force within him to want to murder his family. Um, it prays like it's the classic trope of the classic horror trope of just malevolent um, spiritual beings preying on um, people that are emotionally detached or, or emotionally vulnerable in some way. And he's, and this is something that's, it's it's referenced in the movie that he, he has a temper. He, he accidentally broke uh, Danny's, uh, arm previous to the movie um uh-huh. or dislocated his shoulder i think and uh and he's quit drinking and all that so he's he's got this this uh, uh alcoholism that he's that he's working on being uh rid of and that's that's something that's preying on him throughout the movie um so i think that at its at its 
core. I think that it's a psychological thriller with plenty of stuff between the beginning and the end to fill in the horror aspect. I mean, you have just really eerie, eerie shots of the family doing these things and, and exploring the hotel and everything. And then you get glimpses of like the twins and, and you get just really disorienting imagery that should, should, if it, if it works as well as it should, um, create a psychological response out of you that it should put you into a mood. And I don't know what the disconnect is for people to not be put in the mood for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a couple of things. I feel like there that um, his descent is into madness is, is not gradual enough. And you kind of brought up a good point that uh, is, I, I'm not using it as one of my points because I think several people use this point uh most notably stephen king says jack nicholson is playing a crazy person at the beginning of the movie whereas his his vision was to have a normal guy go into madness and i don't so much have a problem with that i also have an interesting question to ask you about that 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 um, i think is interesting to think about but anyway um i i marked at the 44 minute mark is the the really the first and only time he kind of blows up at wendy and i don't really see a clear enough uh digression up to that point i I feel like he turns a switch from um a relatively known actor to jack nicholson or jack torrance who he would play in every single movie thereafter uh like he kind of turns it on at the 44 minute mark and that's when he goes crazy um i feel like this sounds crazy, but is it possible that a 144-minute movie isn't long enough? I, I feel like we needed to see a little more descent early on. We get the crazy switch at 44 minutes, and then we get him talking to Grady, and then we get him talking to the barkeep. And then, you know, I feel like some of those things should start happening early. We we don't see slight changes. We see him blow up at Wendy, and then it gets worse. Is the 44-minute mark, is it the part where she walks in on him typing and he's he's like, I'm yeah. in here typing and you're not, right. you shouldn't be in here. And Yeah, that's okay. exactly right. Um, huh. I feel like, and it's been a couple of weeks since I saw it, so I feel like there was a little, maybe not, maybe there wasn't as gradual a, a decline in his, in his mental well-being up to that point. But mm-hmm. like part of my, part of one of my points is that that scene is on the surface, it's like, Okay, it's a very abrasive, very abusive response to a guy who is struggling with writer's block. Uh-huh. Um, and where and you just kind of by the end of it or or soon after that you kind of realize it's more the ho- the the hotel getting its getting digging its hands into him and you get uh-huh. kind of a hint of that that he has a temper at least um early on like like when um immediately. Through, well, through exposition that mm-hmm. uh where Wendy's talking to the doctor and saying like yeah well he did this and he he did this to Danny and all that and you kind of get this through her perspective it's like oh he was very sorry about it i guess but it's also like it plants the seed in you though okay yeah he has a temper and like with that mm-hmm. it's i don't think that that's quite the the knee jerk reaction that that uh to me that that you made it out to be because it's more just like it's an it's an abusive abrasive reaction but it's mm-hmm. also like he's uh, it shows him at a high stress i guess i'm not excusing the behavior obviously i think right no i get what you're saying yeah. um yeah. 
so so the point I wanted to bring up that I think might be be interesting, and then I think there's a question attached to that. Um, is that s- several critics, and I think I believe it, and I'll I'll cite now playing podcast as my source. Uh, they say um, that Jack wants to kill Wendy from the beginning, and kind of uses this as an excuse to kill her, right? And w- we all know the story about um, how Kubrick used. Uh, this movie as an opportunity to kind of abuse Shelley Duvall and she cried all the time and it was a horrible experience for her and there you know there's misogyny involved and Stephen King even called Duvall's Wendy like the most misogynistic character in cinema uh, and so that basically what what I'm saying is from the very beginning at least in Kubrick's eyes uh, Jack wants to kill Wendy um because he hates her, because he thinks she's weak. I, I don't know why, because he has a bad mm-hmm. temper uh, from the beginning. And you get uh, aspects of that weirdness, of that craziness. Like who, you know, when he hears about the the slayings in 1970 of the of the Grady family, um, he's got the big cheesy grin on his face, and he's like, oh, Wendy loves that kind of stuff. She's a self-proclaimed horror fanatic, and or whatever he says. <laughs> and... uh and really, I mean, she, she doesn't seem to like anything. And, you know, when they're driving up to the Overlook and he tells Danny, uh, an a eight-year-old boy or however old he is, what the Donner Party is. I mean, clearly this guy's a weirdo. Um, and so do, do, you, do you think there's anything to that, that he maybe wanted to kill her all along and this is his excuse to do so? I don't see that at all, actually. Uh, Was that just conjecture from the now playing guys, or was that like something that they had from... um, You know, I can't remember exactly what they said, but they all all agreed. I I, see. I don't see that at all because when, like, when he says that about uh, about Wendy being like a horror buff and all that, I don't see that as him being like like excited with glee about. About mm-hmm. people that die there, I just think it's like, oh, his wife would like it. And no, like, no, and I and I yeah. don't mean to say I should clarify. I don't okay. mean to say that he had some grand scheme to go and kill her. Okay, I, I think subconsciously he wants to kill her. I don't. I don't see it because from in the from the up to that forty-four minute mark. At what mm-hmm. is there anything to any indication that he's that he's angry with her or displeased with her or that he hates her and wants to kill her? I mean. I from what I remember it was just like she's like it's the the family. I mean, he might be he might be kind of annoyed with her sometimes, but I don't think there's anything there. I think that I think that that might be someone just reading a little too much into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think a lot of people do for this movie. <laughs> um and then another theory that they kind of put forward um does Jack have the shining? No. No. I mean, who's to say? Well, no, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scatman Crothers, <laughs> because because Scatman Crothers never speaks to Jack. Never speaks to. Never. There's never. There's no indication that Jack has any type of te- telepathic ability. Uh, and Scatman Crothers would have noted noticed that the second that he uh, met them and everything. Because if if he did, then why wouldn't he? you know, mentally say something to Jack mm-hmm. and just to Danny makes Scatman look a little creepy. Um, <laughs> what? Oh, for not saying something, to for Jack? not saying something to Jack and only saying something to the eight year old kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Well, I, yeah. I, I put it out there because they brought it up, and I, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, I think there's yeah. a lot there's a lot crazier theories. You know, yeah. basically they talk about how um, you see the ghosts because of you, because you have some bit of the shining, and some some people have more uh, shine a little more, and some you know some don't. Um, you know, he, he Scatman even says the house has the shining, right? The house is some things shine and some things yeah. don't. And I so, kinda, um, uh, go ahead. you know, there, yeah. there's that. I would, I kind of wonder if, um, there's, I mean, there's a difference between having the shining and being more susceptible to, to like malevolent forces, spiritual mm-hmm. forces and stuff. So like Jack is stressed out cause he's trying to write and he's stressed out because, you know, it's cabin fever pretty much. The movie is all about cabin fever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's one of the things that's so great about it. I'll bring it up later, but he he's more susceptible to it because he's more stressed out and that's i don't think it's an indication that he has the shining or anything like that okay um is it your turn to make a point yeah um i just want to bring because my my points are broken up just by broad topics so basically my first point is the filmmaking um i figure we'll get into a really lively discussion about this um I mentioned before that there's an eerie kind of discomfort to the movie uh, right from the start. It's the, the score is just like very um, it's, it's very just strong from the, from the outset. It's just the, the score just pounds into you um, and it doesn't let up throughout the movie. It's very ominous and, and the family is isolated, but there's kind of an emphasis on the open space of the overlook. Like especially in the beginning when they're taking the tour of the hotel, they show these big wide angle shots of just all the space and everything. And I think that that's a really good indication of how, of how Kubrick was able to show this to us and then gradually make us feel isolated along with the Torrances because they're the only people in this massive hotel. And yet they're still like Jack is still crazy and it's, it's still a, a very extreme case of cabin fever. Um, and then there's also, and I hesitate to bring this up because I don't want to give credit to Room 237, the documentary, <laughs> because I thought that that documentary was just absolutely garbage. But they did raise some interesting points about the filmmaking of it. There's a very disorienting feel to the movie. It's it's evidenced by Ullman's um, window uh, when Jack goes in to meet meet with Ullman before in the uh, for the job interview. There's a window behind his behind his uh, desk, and it's sunlight coming in. Then later in the movie, Danny is riding his little tricycle thing around, and it's making like a, a map of. If if you follow along, it's making. It's it shows that there's nothing behind Ullman's office where he is. So that so I feel like that's a subconscious and a subconscious method, a subconscious way of Kubrick to disorient the audience, like like make you feel like on a very subconscious level that there's something just amiss about the architecture and the structure of the, of the hotel. And I think that that's a really clever and very genius way to do it. Um, and then also it's just, it all, the whole movie, just the filmmaking of it, the, the, the way everything's set up is just serves to just confuse you. And it's, and it's something that is very effective and makes, makes me get sucked into all of the, um, the uh, maniacal stuff that Jack does in the last act of the movie. I think that that really, really 
brings out like this terror in the movie is, is this subconscious way of confusing the audience. And, um, and yeah, so I, and I, I just, I, I love Kubrick's style. It's, it's, it's just so big and impressive to me, the way that he shoots his movies and, and the, and the way that the story unfolds throughout and a long runtime. It's two and a half hours long and I don't feel bored or anything with it. Um, so yeah, that, so that's my first point is just that it's, uh, the way that he disorients the audience is, is really clever and unique to the horror genre. Okay. Uh, to that, I would say that that is a, that's a matter of taste about how you feel about Kubrick. And again, I know that I'm on, I'm on the side that doesn't agree with it. Right. And so I I tried to find um, some people who were not fans of him. And that's hard to come by. Stephen King is the most notable one. Cronenberg is another fan, uh, not fan of um, Stanley Kubrick. And then there's me. Uh, but, of course, <laughs> who am I, right? Uh, and so my, my response to the confusion thing is that, to me, confusion doesn't always equal quality. Sometimes his lofty ideas are just lofty for the sake of lofty. Sometimes he'll say, uh, I'm going to throw this in there to appear to be an auteur, but I'm not going to follow it up. Little inconsistencies that you would think somebody who purports to be such a perfectionist would not miss. Little, little, little things that are super inconsequential, such as, you know, at the end where Jack uh, breaks down the door, but he only breaks in one of the panels, and then in the next shot, two panels are down. And I know it took almost a year to shoot, and that kinds of thing mm-hmm. uh, it happens, and that's not a problem. But then there's the problem of Charles and Delbert Grady, Mm-hmm. supposedly the same people with two different names and of course that allows people who love Kubrick, people like yourself and people a little more obsessed than you mm-hmm. uh, in room 237 to go off half cocked <laughs> about these crazy notions about what that might entail when I think that why can't we just say that Kubrick wasn't perfect uh, and it's a plot inconsistency or how about the uh the owner of the hotel or the or the the runner of the hotel says the girls are eight and ten, but they're clearly twins. Um, what do you make of people taking these inconsistencies, which I think are clearly just filmmaking mistakes mm-hmm. um and and turning them into reasons why they like the movie um <laughs> the the anachronistic issues like that i don't i don't subscribe to anything anything like any uh any further theories on them or anything like i don't i don't know what the reason is for having him having grady be two first names it could be i mean you could make the argument that maybe it's just a figment of jack's imagination and that all that stuff but then that leads to a whole new can of worms it I, does, and I'd like yeah. to pry into that can of worms. Okay, um, if that's okay. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I I kind of wonder if maybe the intention was to have these kind of uh, these inconsistencies to be more like uh, Jack is under the influence of the hotel's malevolent force, and yet he can't fill in the blanks quite that much so like he only knows like okay there was this guy grady who killed his killed his family with an axe and uh 
you know, from there, he had two little girls. So, okay, well, maybe Jack is like, okay, well, maybe on on in his brain, it's just like, okay, well, I'll fill in the blanks. He was he was uh he was also a butler or something like that. He was a butler during the season. So, maybe these are just figments of his imagination that mm-hmm. the that the hotel is bringing out, um, mm-hmm. in order to get control of him and force him to kill. Same with, I mean, it's more it's more a a question of what he's what's under the influence of him rather than things like that. Like the Grady thing, that's, that's a big, that's a big issue. The, the, the door panel thing, that's, you know, that's a non issue. Cause that's just a, a, complete, that's a filmmaking error. Exactly. That, that and it's happens, the same, right? Yeah. And like room two thirty seven, they bring up a point about how, um, there's like a chair in, I maybe in the scene or maybe the precursor to the scene where he, where he blows up at Wendy at the 44 minute mark. But I think the, there's a scene before that where she comes in and he talks, she talks to him and there's a chair in the wrong place mm-hmm. in two scenes. And they make some argument about how like, Oh, it's a horror movie. It's, he's making fun of horror movies because that's like, no, it's just, he missed it. it you know, it's continuity or continuity error. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of people who read the Bible. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's Kudos. true. Kudos. That's yeah, really sir. true. Check out Tiny Side Project. It's like, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I mean, I think that there are ways to to not enhance the experience of watching the movie, but to explain some of these things away. Like the the Grady thing is is an issue that could be explained away that way. That's how I would do it. I've never actually like uh thought about it that deeply. <laughs> So that's just kind of off the off the off the cuff for me. Um yeah. Okay. Uh th- this isn't really true to the format that we talked about, but um I kind of want to talk about that that uh that uh can of worms you you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think I said this before, but I said that I think there's a difference between Building tension. Oh, by the way, twenty of your points earlier. There's a difference between building tension and overlong establishing shots. Um, sometimes I think those can get too long, and I think people confuse those as building plot, but they don't really. So you said Kubrick was obsessive about showing you the space of the hotel, and mm-hmm. the point is to ex- accentuate the loneliness and isolation, which he's success- successful at. But it's not horror. I don't think that he's building. It's it's drama, uh, and then. You know, that's where you talk about how Jack Nicholson was kind of crazy in the first place, uh, and whatever. So, uh, what I think we should talk about is if for most of the movie, all of this can be explained as in Jack's head. And I think it can be. And, and that was certainly the intention for at least a little while. Uh, you know, there's a mirror in every single shot he's in where he sees a ghost, all, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's fine. I, I can get down with that. Um, but why pretend it for it to be that long and then have a ghost unlock the freezer door? Is that supposed to be an aha moment? I will say that I, when I, when I say that it could be under uh, a figment of his imagination, it's not that I'm not making the blanket, blanket, uh, blanket, wow, blanket statement (laughs) that everything is a manifestation of Jack's subconscious and that he's using that as an excuse to kill his family. That's not the, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, no, I know you're not, but I, but I think that there is a clear possibility that, um, it could be at least up until the, the freezer point that it could all be a manifestation of his imagination. 
I don't think so. I, I don't think it could be because Danny experiences uh, all Stanley the... Kubrick and his writer both said that um, it it was, and then that the they decide because they shot it in order, and they were definitely going for that mm-hmm. until they got to the freezer thing, and then they were like, "Well, there's nothing we can do. We we kind of have to." <laughs> this is when they gave up. I did not know that. Is that true? That is true from the really? director's commentary. Wow. Or from the producer's commentary, whatever sure. it was. Again, this huh. is this is a this is a secondary source. I found this out from the Now Playing podcast. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so again, that that I I think what I'm really referencing is this genius that we celebrate of Stanley Kubrick that is sometimes just falling into some really cool stuff. Like even as big a fan as I am of Halloween, I I know that not everything John Carpenter does is genius, uh, and and I think that we can be a little more critical on The Shining than we are. Well, yeah, there's no problem with being critical of it, but, I mean, there is... Kubrick made... He directed... He's credited with directing, I think, 16 movies. Mm-hmm. And they, they all... I mean, he... To say he's a genius is... I feel like that is something that is... <laughs> hard to argue against given the given the amount of things that he did with 16 movies and the amount of of like the, like you said it's a visual visually it's gorgeous to look at that the uh it's it's great at uh tone and everything it's just a little uh, from your from your perspective it's just a little muddy on what it wants to be and what what it uh mm-hmm. and just falls short of what it what it should and could be for you. I don't really have that problem because I just see it as this movie about um, a man who falls under the spell of this spiritual force that uh, is in this hotel and that's it. I, I think that there's definitely a way to, to discuss the finer points of his, of Kubrick's style and everything. I'm, I'm a little thrown off by the, by the whole, uh, well, like the, uh, Deus Ex Machina kind of thing with uh-huh. the, with the freezer door. I was not aware of that. So, um, I'm a little thrown off by that, but uh-huh. I feel like it's, I mean, there's no real problem for me, uh, with, uh, for me to, uh, I don't really have a problem with, with them making the decision that they're real or anything like that because I don't feel like they were ever, there was never a question of whether the the place was haunted or not or whether the ghost exists and everything because Danny has the shining and he he sees even before he goes to the hotel that horrible things are going to happen and he uh-huh. sees the twins and everything. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't think there's any question about the supernaturality, if that's a word, <laughs> um, of, of the Overlook Hotel. I think it's just a matter of they – sure, maybe they just wrote themselves in a corner and they got out of it by saying, well – we got some ghosts. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's all I got for that. Okay. <laughs> um, should we kind of take a break and hear Tiny's voice? Maybe kind of talk about our our experiences with The Shining. Yeah, absolutely. Experiences. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Yeah, I've been dying to say something. <laughs> Not really. Um, <laughs> I kind of wanted to talk about the book a little bit, but it's been. I read that book when I was in seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last time I read it. Loved it. It scared the crap out of me. I remember I read it for an assignment for school and couldn't put it down and finished it at like three in the morning. That's awesome. Um, and didn't sleep really that much that night. Uh, but the book is uh, substantially different than the movie we get. And that's part of the reason why uh, Stephen King has 
completely disowned the movie essentially yeah. um and speaks out against it so vehemently um and the book is is hugely different um we've talked about Stephen King ad nauseum so much on this podcast, which is ironic given that it's about movies and he's an author. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but excuse me. He, um, we've said so much, he, he emphasizes his characters and his stories or his books are about character building as opposed to plot and other, everything. Um, and so in his book, the, the hotel, a substantial amount of the pages are, 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 uh, dedicated to establishing, the development of the hotel as a character. I know that's such a cliched thing to say that, oh, mm-hmm. the setting is actually a character. Um, but it really is in this book. Um, th- there, there's so much time spent in the book of Jack going through old records in the, in the hotel's offices to, to, to look at the history of the hotel and establish why it's haunted. And, and Which, by the way, I don't know if you guys know. I'm sure, I'm sure, Matt, maybe you do. But I noticed for the first time today at the 44-minute mark when Wendy comes in, uh, by the side of the typewriter, he actually has an old scrapbook with old newspaper things in there, huh. uh, which is a nod to the book, you know, him researching the hotel. I thought right. that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I think... I can't remember in the book. Was it established that that Jack was an alcoholic? Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Oh, that was a huge, huge part of the book. Right. It, that's and right. that's a huge um, thing dropped from the movie. Not not dropped. dropped completely. It's there, yeah. but uh, one of Stephen King's biggest complaints mm-hmm. was that the destructiveness of alcohol it, is is not as present in the movie. It might yeah. might as well be absent, in my opinion. <laughs> right. It was, I agree. Yeah, dropped hugely. But uh, one of the points I would make. Just to throw in my hat to this is that there are so many forces working against these people throughout the movie uh, and, and the book as well. But you have Jack's alcoholism, you have all of the isolationism that you guys have discussed, and then you have this supernatural force that influences everyone. And I think the tension that that you were talking about, Mike, where there, you could almost make an argument that Jack wanted to kill his wife from the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that especially in the movie that is present because of this event that they're overcoming as a family mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Jack hurt the child. And I think, uh, I think even to the point where we're at at the beginning of the film, Jack sees, sees it as it was sort of blown out of proportion from mm-hmm. his, from his opinion. And I think he, he has resentment towards Wendy because of that and sort of resents his son to an extent, I'm not saying he's a psychopath and just wants to kill him, but right. I feel like there's just so much tension in the air, and you can sort of feel it like when they're driving there, and he's talking about the dog yeah, party. Absolutely, and th- and that's what I'm referring to, right? When but, I talk about wanting to, right? But I I don't think that what I'm trying to say is I don't think you could point to any any one of these factors and say this is what drives the film. I think you have to address all these different things: the tension with the family, the alcoholism, the supernatural forces, and the isolationism. You have to address all those four things equally, and they, they all have an impact on this story. And to mm-hmm. kind of point to any one of them as sort of taking the lead is, I think, a bit of a is is sort of irresponsible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I th- it's it's just it's just like everything else. It's not, it's not just one thing. You can't just boil it down to one thing. It's a bunch of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in in the book, we have uh, as opposed to the maze that's in the movie. There's mm-hmm. these these. Uh, anthropomorphic topiaries yeah. sort of <laughs> that kind of come to life um and also in the book you have the the book i would almost say is 
almost had better tension than the movie because you have a ticking clock in the book, mm-hmm. uh, which is not present in the movie. You have this boiler. Yeah. Uh, Jack is supposed to once a week or something like it's switch. Like it's once a day. I it think. is once a day. You're yeah. right. Uh, he's supposed to switch the boiler. There's two boilers and he's supposed to switch them mm-hmm. and he hasn't done it for days and days and it's about to literally explode. So you have this ticking clock in the book that's not there in the movie. Um, you could almost say, uh, Halloran showing up is sort of that ticking clock, but not really, not, not as really. precise as the as as the boiler. Yeah. Um. And also the film, or I'm sorry, the book, really plays up these this the supernaturality <laughs> of the of <laughs> the hotel. The um, uh, it it emphasizes how it's a it, it's built on Indian territory, and mm-hmm. there's an old Indian burial ground there and stuff like that, and it gives you more of a reason for why it's haunted. Which is referenced in the movie, too. But it's, it's really dropped. Yeah. And well, and in Room 237, the crappy documentary, which I also I also watched and had major issues with, yeah. um, I, I appreciated how they pointed out how much, how much visual representation there is of the Native American yeah, heritage. Yeah, the Kayume stuff. Well, yeah, yeah, and there's just artwork oh, all yeah. over the place in that, <laughs> that hotel. Too. I mean, it's yeah, right. It's and they, they mentioned it once or twice in the movie, mm-hmm. but it's it's much more present than I I realized after having seen that documentary because there's all the artwork everywhere yeah. and, and all that stuff. But so um, it was good for something. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but the, the the book is better than the movie. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of a given anymore. Uh, but. I don't but know. you don't even have to, like, we don't even have to say that. We don't even have to decide because right. they're right. so different. That's not yeah. really the debate here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the book is worth mentioning, but yeah, it's, it's, it's almost. I'll tell you, I was really enjoyed, I, I, I was really enjoying, uh, like, before my life got too busy to read. I haven't, by the way, I haven't read anything. I haven't read any, except for Gone Girl, and I listened to that. Um, but I have read nothing since the beginning of the school year. So I started Jeez. The Shining. Uh, got about halfway through and had to put it down. And I was thoroughly enjoying for the mm-hmm. from the from the get go for the first time my reading of The Shining. And I have never thoroughly enjoyed viewing The Shining. Hmm. And I don't know what that means. Just means it's not your bag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just... and, and that's kind of that. You know, that's kind of my closing statement. So I don't want to talk too much. Okay, too yeah. much about that. But uh, Matt, what what's your introduction to The Shining? Like, when was the first time you saw The Shining? Ooh, the first time I saw The Shining, oh man, I it would have it would have had to have been in high school. Yeah. I don't remember my first viewing of it. I don't either, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I I remember liking it a lot, and then that I I kind of grew from there to to loving it upon subsequent viewings when I got more of a taste for like noticing things in film like not more it was more like <laughs> that that girl's naked um <laughs> like my my the trajectory of my watching the shining is like oh that chick's naked too oh wow yeah, yeah that that's really good that's good yeah mm-hmm. uh, and then to oh wow that yes it's very very um atmospheric and very tone and then uh yeah it just kind of grew from there so i don't i don't really remember the first time i saw it i do i don't remember if i mentioned this or not but this is just a side note but i watched it a couple weeks ago at a midnight screening at keystone art and seven times throughout the movie this guy sitting in front of me took his phone out to snapchat a clip Mm. to his friends dude seven times and every single time i did this (laughs) 
<laughs> every time because he was Snapchatting cl- like video clips. Mm-hmm. And so I made sure to do that. And it became kind of a fun little game because he started to do it at, uh, at the, uh, <laughs> at the, um, the bathtub scene. And he doesn't, he, he didn't, he didn't get the timing right. So he kept having to redo it and redo it and redo it. God. Every time I kept coughing, I kept coughing, I kept coughing. After the third time, I would have leaned in and been like, I wouldn't do that again unless you want that thing inside you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then finally I was like, all right, this is the time he has to do it. And then he did it and I coughed and all that. But then he did did it at the here's Johnny scene. And I was so proud of myself because I coughed right when he said that. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, so... So if you're listening, you're a f***ing ass. <laughs> and um, if you're one of the other people who were there and weren't him, he's sorry for coughing every time an important scene happened. <laughs> <laughs> the dude was sitting right in front of me, it, like kind of like right in front of me to the seat, uh, and it was loud enough to where it would pick up on his phone but not disrupt everyone else. Uh-huh. Um, Says you. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> so you think. Yeah. Uh, and at one point I tried to discreetly Snapchat him Snapchatting. <laughs> But I couldn't do it because my phone's backlight was too bright, and I didn't want to disrupt it for everyone else. God. So yeah. I took, I put my phone away and just coughed. Took the high that's, road. I did. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So, Mike, what's your so, yeah. first experience like with the movie? Yeah. Yeah. The, my first one was um, <laughs> my parents went on a ski trip or something like that. I, I know that I was with a babysitter, and I was probably five or six. Between the ages of five and seven, I'll say that. I don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know, and I remember thinking, man, I'm too young to be watching this, and it putting <laughs> me in a weird mood. And I also remember being confused by the ending, which is something we can talk about later. Oh, yeah. And I'm still, I, I'm not confused about the ending anymore. I, I, I have a few theories, but I also, more than anything, realize that the idea is to kind of, um, stoke the fire of theories, right? That's, that's the whole idea. It's, it's kind of the confusion you were speaking to. But I wonder if that feeling of, um, incompleteness that I got, you know, 20 years ago, 22 years ago when I watched it for the first time kind of holds over. And for some reason, I'm getting this lingering, like, echo, this lingering shadow that the first time I saw it, I didn't like this part. So I'm never going to like this part. Hmm. Okay. And it kind of talks to, it also speaks to, you know, how I feel about ambiguous endings. You, we've talked about this before that I'm not a fan. And so, uh, a friend of mine <clears throat> lent me the, the transcription of a talk that he went to, um, this author who kind of talks about the, you know, the, the pyramid that goes up, the rising action, the, mm-hmm. uh, the climax, the denouement, and those kinds of things, and that there is a chemical thing that happens in you where when you get a proper denouement, you get a you get a specific release, you get a you get a chemical euphoria that it is sometimes bigger than others, and and it's not something that we're always cognizant of, but it happens, and s- certain people react poorly when they don't get that euphoria at the end. I, I am one of these people, so when you get an ambiguous ending, you don't the chemical that you're supposed to release when you get to that point in a movie is not released and you're just not physically satisfied. It's a very interesting article. Find a dollar for every time. I'm kidding. Um, I was trying to make every time you had a chemical release. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, I I had at one point I was like, it's called an orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, that's really interesting, and I would love to check that out. Also, yeah, that, that uh, transcript. Um, yeah, and w- the ending is one of my points, um, which we can talk Should about. Should we jump back into it? By the way, I think I think so. I was trying to I was trying to gauge whether that was like your point or if you were just saying yeah. It. No, it's it's not really a point. That's your um, feelings toward the movie. Yeah, kind of. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so should we jump back into it? Please. I think. Yeah. Sure. Then, uh, then I guess I'll try to make it into a point if you'd like. Sure. I will. Whatever your next. It's your go. Um. Uh. Okay. M- my point. Uh. Is kind of just to hammer hammer again on uh what I've been saying all along. I I feel like the movie tries struggles a little bit to find out what it wants to be. Uh. And so you know we get the blowjob dog at the end, which is kind of weird. Um, and then we get the end where he's in the picture, uh, and it's not, it's not as troublesome to me now as it used to be. Um, but, but what do you, what do you make of that? Or, or what would, what would you, what's your point there? The ending or the whole, like the strange, let's say the endings. Okay. Well, first of all, the, the blowjob dog scene that, uh, that's a, that's a book reference. It's a book reference, yeah, which I wish that they would have done. And so same with like the kind of uh well, all the all the weird kind of uh I can't remember if they're in the movie or not, but the um furries kind of thing. Like there was mm-hmm. was it that the only one or was that was there multiple like scenes? Yeah, the like dog the is the only one. Okay, well And the and you know, we don't get a whole lot of background on the girl in the bathtub. We don't get a whole lot of background on any anything but Grady. And we can assume that the twins are Grady's, except Grady had eight and ten year old and they're twins, but whatever. (laughs) Right, right. Um as for the ending, I that was actually one of my one of my points, so I'll just I'll just go ahead and run with it. Mm Uh I I feel like it, it doesn't lack that much clarity. Um, mm-hmm. or it doesn't, it lacks, it lacks a certain amount of clarity, but I don't think it's quite as ambiguous as, as, uh, as people make it out to me. Like, I think mm-hmm. that it's more just a, uh, just a, a scene, a, a shot that establishes that now the hotel has Jack. He's, mm-hmm. he's now, now he's there. This, it's not saying that the hotel has taken him in time travel time back to 1920. As much as I love time travel, I don't think that uh-huh. that's the case. I think that's just a, a little tongue-in-cheek thing for to, a way to visually tell the audience that now Jack is a part of this, and now mm. it's now Jack is just one of one of all the other ghosts that that uh, inhabit the hotel. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a that's a very good. I think I love it. I, I think it's a very good lasting uh shot like a, a a great last shot is that shot of him with that music playing in the picture at the center of it um is and slowly fades out and all that i think that's a great way to end the movie because it's it's so haunting and so so strange and so eerie mm-hmm. um and i i just think it i just think it punctuates the movie perfectly and i don't mm-hmm. see any ambiguity with it in in that way um um i I think i have my own excuse for it now i i've i've kind of made peace with it in my mind lately uh but actually by listening to the now playing podcast which which leads me to a problem but i'll talk about that in a second um you can't ignore the date on it because he because it uh, kubrick 
pans down to the date. So I think that's significant. And while I agree that it's it doesn't send him back to 1923 or whatever it was, right. um, there is a point in the book where – and I and I think it's in the movie, but I'm not sure. I know it's in the book that says – that talks about how the hotel kind of exists um, independent of time, right? Like it's it's out of time. Uh, and that's why – that's why he sees the party from the twenties. That's why uh, Delbert Grady says that he's been there all along, and he even says Jack's been there all along. And earlier on, Jack says that he feels like he's been here before, and kind of like more deja vu than he ever got. Um, I, I agree that the hotel has him, right? It absorbs mm-hmm. his spirit, his soul, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think that the picture kind of shows up on the wall after he dies uh, as if to say he now exists also out of time. And I think the problem I had before was that I thought that the picture was always on the wall, but clearly not. Right. Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. And so he, he now as a part of the hotel also exists outside of the hotel. Right. So do you have, Oh well, <laughs> sorry. That's okay. So, so do you still have like a problem with the ending, or is it just more like you made peace with it? And no, I was it? able to make peace with it. I don't. Okay. I don't have as as much of an ending. How how long are we going? By the way, how long how long have we talked? Uh, we're at fifty six minutes. So if you want to do like, if you have another point, we can do like one more and then do closing arguments. That way we can uh, like throw in potpourri or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. <clears throat> let me see. I don't really have any points. Points. Um, I would just talk about, I guess my last point would be, um, that I think Wendy's character is misused in the movie. Um, also, and I also think Scatman's character is misused in the movie. The, uh, you know, this move, the star of this movie, and I think the reason this movie is so popular now or it has lasted as long as it has is because of the popularity and the career of Jack Nicholson. When the movie first came out, um, it was not critically received the way it is now. It's not, you know, when it came out in 1980, it wasn't considered the first or second best horror movie of all time. Uh, in fact, it was, it was nominated for a couple of Razzies, huh. which, which whatever, whatever that, you know, right. it's the Razzies who gives <laughs> But, uh, you know, it, it wasn't this amazing piece of cinema that, that we now consider it to be. Um, and I think the reason we do is because of just the last, you know, the lasting career of Jack Nicholson and kind of the reverence we have for uh, Stanley Kubrick now. Um, but I think my point is some of the my complaint is that uh, I think Scatman is underused and I think Stephen King could not be more on point than when he says that Wendy is misogynistic or portrayed misogynistically. Mm -hmm. I'll agree. Yeah, it's, uh, (laughs) well, with that, but I'll say that in term, I I think it's, I think it's a bit, not necessarily a cop out, but it's a, it's a bit of, uh, wrong (laughs) to say that it's the reason that it sustains itself. The reason that it's so popular is because of the lasting career of Jack Nicholson. While I will say that, had anyone else taken that role, I don't think anyone could have done as good a job as he did. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he is just inherently this crazy person. Um, and, and, and like he just embodies that so perfectly. Um, 
Although I will say that Stephen Weber did a really good job as Jack Torrance in the in the TV miniseries, mm-hmm. and Which, also Jack Nicholson wasn't that crazy before. Like, like he's not crazy and easy rider. Yeah, mm-hmm. or uh, um, oh, Cuckoo's man. Nest. Yeah, the one where Chinatown he's a, where he's a sailor. Um, sailor. Gosh, what is that movie called? I don't remember what it's called, but anyways, he was nominated. For, I think it was his first nomination. Oh, gosh, what's no. that movie called? Anyways, go ahead. I'm sorry. Anyway, no, that's fine. Um. But I'll say that it's it's due. It's it's due to I I don't think that it's like I think it's short shortening uh, the credit that Kubrick deserves because um, I think it's more like it's more this piece of filmmaking that that I, I feel like The Shining is more a testament to Jack Nicholson's performance and Kubrick's work um as as director and i think that like shelly duvall and and uh scamman crothers they kind of fall by the wayside i i think the acting is great in the movie um jack nicholson is is fantastic as just this unstable guy that's just really crazy um mm-hmm. but i feel like like shelly duvall just she's a little dry and it's and it's i agree that she is kind of I, I wouldn't say that she's portray, portrayed like incredibly misogynistically. I don't I don't think that she is quite that like uh the, depicted quite that way. I mean she's she's kind of a victim of kind of an abusive relationship after a while. But I don't think that it's it's not like you know what's funny the now playing guys uh pointed out which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Which kind of led to their point about he kind of um, maybe harbored resentment, maybe wanted to kill Wendy from the beginning is um, like how much work has he done on the hotel compared to how much she's, you know what I mean? Like there That's are true. no scenes of him doing any work on the hotel. That's true. And they show her like doing the boiler, doing stuff. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's true. <laughs> but I think that it's legacy is that it's, it's, you know, it's not, I don't, I think to say that it's, to say that, its legacy is dictated by Jack Nicholson's career after it is a little bit um, incorrect because I think that it has Oh, I a think lot. we're going to have to disagree 100% then. Really? Yeah. See, I, I don't think it would be nearly as famous if it wasn't for... Well, of course not, but uh, I don't even know how notable it would be if it weren't for... I think it would be as popular as, say, Full Metal Jacket hmm. if it weren't for Jack Nicholson. Ah, that's That's interesting. That's... I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I mean, really nobody, nobody that. says the sh- well. Okay, <laughs> not nobody because a lot of people <laughs> appreciate good filmmaking, right. but the lay person and and um, make no mistake, the lay person is on IMDb. The lay person is on <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. The lay person created ten scariest horror movies of all time. Um, they reference when you say The Shining, they don't say, "Oh yeah, I really like that opening shot at the beginning." It's really isolating. They say, "Here's Johnny." Yeah. Wow. That's that's a really good point. Um. Yeah, I, I think it's just a, it's. But again, <sighs> to your point, I think there is more to the movie than Jack Nicholson. I, well, I yeah. think at the outset, the star of the movie is okay. is is. is Kubrick's camera, right? But right. It's just... I, I don't mean to downplay 
Kubrick's role in this movie and making it is what it is. Right. Um, okay. I just think I just think the reason it is the number one or number two again, it's like either that or The Exorcist right. is because of is because of Jack Nicholson's influence and That's, career. Okay, I, I totally see your point, and I'll I'll agree with you there. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I still love this movie. Do you, do you, do you want to move into closing arguments and closing statements? Let's. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you want to go first or should I, I don't know. How um, uh, let me go first. Cause I okay. think you're going to be surprised. Okay. Go right so ahead. I came into this debate. Um, I was actually prepared to give this debate a week ago. <laughs> I actually thought we were recording this a week ago. So I was yeah. like, Oh, okay, whatever. Uh, and then so we didn't, and I hadn't watched The Shining since, ooh, like two Shocktobers ago. I don't know. Uh, and so it was not fresh in my memory. In fact, the book was more fresh in my memory. But since then, I've listened to the Now Playing podcast twice. Uh, mm-hmm. I did a bit of research, as you guys saw. I read as many articles as I could find. Uh, I read negative articles that kind of took some of my points. And I even read some of the positive uh uh, reviews kind of try to, to to form both sides and try to decide where I landed. And before I watched the movie today, I, I was ready to uh, um, adamantly speak against it. And and um, but I but I realized I didn't really have a whole lot to say except that I just didn't like how I feel when I watch it. And so I watched the movie today. Um, and through seeing both sides, I actually appreciated the movie today in a way that I've never appreciated it before. Nice. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of why I brought up about my past and the first time I saw it, how it made me uncomfortable. Uh, and I thought that maybe I'll never like the ending and that's just how it's going to be. I think that's why I still feel the way I do. Um because I think there is a lot of things to think about with this movie. I, you know, I use the point that I think it it doesn't have an identity, but I also kind of agree with you and Tiny that uh, it does have an identity, and the the identity is that it is kind of what Tiny said: those four things uh, that are kind of influencing Jack to become the way he is. And I and I, re- I was able to recognize that this time. Um, I was also able to kind of lay to rest some of the technical issues that I have with the movie. And make no mistake, there are technical issues in the movie. It, it is not a perfect movie. Um, it's 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 far from it. Uh, but like I said, I, I think it does a lot of really good tone things. And I was able to like enjoy the tone aspects of it and kind of put that aside and say, what else can I learn to like about this movie? Um, and I, I am going to stick with the facts or the, the theory that he might have the shining. I'm going to stick with that because it gave me a new way to enjoy it. I'm also going to stick with the idea that maybe he wanted to kill Wendy from the beginning because I, I think that helps me enjoy it too. Uh, and so my point is where in the past, those were things that were distractions and kind kind of detracted from enjoying the movie. I think it helped me find a new way to enjoy the movie. Um, And so if my main point in the debate is that I like movies that are a little more concrete, this movie is far from it. Uh, And it's pretty out there, as is Stanley Kubrick and all his work. But if you can get past those things, which you guys clearly are able to do more often than I am, there is certainly something to like about it. However, it does not come close whatsoever to uh, the sheer influence and power of a movie like Halloween, which is still my favorite scary movie of all time. 
<sighs> All right. Um, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was like five minutes. <laughs> no, that was perfect. Was great. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, my closing remarks on this topic is, F- you, Mike. <laughs> no, that's all. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, and I, I think it's just a matter of a difference of opinion. I, in, in, in this case, unfortunately, the opinion is that like I'm, my opinion is siding with the vast majority and, and your opinion is kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a niche opinion on this topic, but it is opinion and film and filmmaking and, and, and this, the entertainment media medium is is a subject is incredibly subjective no, no one's right in it and everything so you're not required to love the shining or to love kubrick in order to love horror or love movies or love filmmaking it's mm-hmm. it's a polarizing movie but that doesn't mean that uh it's without merit or just a bad movie and i think that we illustrated that that you can still you can still disagree with the movie but you can still find the 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 something good about it um yeah and my just my closing statement is just that it's uh while it's while some of it may be a little hard to swallow and a little out of people's tastes um i think it still deserves to be in the in the pantheon of the horror genre um but i will look at it slightly differently now that uh, I know like your final points on the topic and it'll be interesting to see how I, how I feel about it. Um, so many people call this the greatest horror movie of all time. I'm not going to bore you with the citations here, but it's like either this or the exorcist. And I guess it's a, it's a two tier question. Is it better than the exorcist in your opinion? Of course. Uh, and then that said, is it the, is it the best horror movie of all time? Is it the scariest? No. What do you guys think? No. Uh, I don't think uh, Stanley Kubrick really gets horror enough to actually to actually achieve that, in my opinion. I'm, okay, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah. Because um, that was this is a that's a genre he's never really tackled. Um, he's done things that are shocking and disturbing, um, but I don't think he'd ever done anything that's legitimately horror that's intended to like scare people forever. Um, but I think. The reason, and this is speaking to Mike's point about the legacy of the film, I think it just has things that people find incredibly scary. Um, I mean, there is an elevator door that opens and an ocean of blood falls out of it. Um, people find the twins incredibly scary. Not my, I don't know why people find it so scary, but people do. Um, and then, uh, the Here's Johnny thing, the Red Rum thing, people find that stuff scary. Uh, and I think that's why people almost almost bottleneck the movie into the horror genre which because i don't i don't find it very horrorish either i think it's more madness more of a it's it's supposed to be a character study i think on on jack torrance but i think kubrick kind of got away from that um it, it just doesn't it the, the the movie just doesn't fit into a box um mm-hmm. because of kubrick's style I think you, you just summed up my argument so well <laughs> that if we could go back, I would totally say that's what I was trying to say the whole time. And, and while, while again, like I said, I find new things to enjoy about it. My problem is that people think it's the greatest horror movie of all time. I don't even think it's close. I think there's something to say about that. And, and that was, I really wish I was paying attention to you, tiny, <laughs> but um, no, it's, I think there's something to say about them. 
saying that either either The Shining or The Exorcist is the scariest movie ever. I think there's something to say just about the audience that's saying that because right. they're both they're both about a family with a kid in danger of 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 something. So mm-hmm. I think there's just something there about where you ask because none of us have kids mm-hmm. um, that I know about. Um, but it's it's just something that you know maybe when we're older we'll gain a better appreciation of it. I I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I I don't think it doesn't really fit into the horror genre that much. I just think that it's it just kind of has some scary stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, a and a couple I, scary things in it. I think tonally mm-hmm. it's it's horrifying to me. It, it's right. it's scary to me in tone, um, mm-hmm. and I think I have an appreciation about that because I mean, you, if you look at a movie like, um. Not like not like Halloween, but like any slasher movie, any haunted house movie, they all kind of have the same. Any possession movie, they all have the same kind of pattern, the same kind of um, uh, roadmap to follow, and the same blueprint. Rules, and, rules, yeah. And and The Shining is just this tonal movie that you experience through its two and a half hours two and a half hour runtime and i think that that's something unique to the horror genre because i mean man i'll tell you i wish i could take this <laughs> i could take this again i feel like i'd have a strong stronger argument ah yeah but i didn't really because in a weird way i enjoyed the movie for the first time ever today mm, um nice. and i think it's because i wish i said this uh, my made my point a little stronger at the beginning it's because i thought it was a horror movie going in and you know my big complaints about the ending are um and by the ending i mean the entire climax you know with the skeletons mm-hmm. that those are clearly trying to be horror the a room full of skeletons is is an attempt at a horror movie right mm-hmm. and it just feels like too little too late by that point in the movie i thought that scene was kind of effective <laughs> really <laughs> i think so what well, was it's it cheesy Okay. Well, well it was it was the culmination of a couple of things. That's also the blood out of the it's, elevator scene. Yeah, yeah. It's cheesy and and off tonally. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a it's so. a jump scare along with the death of Scatman. Right. Is a jump scare in a movie that really is playing with tone and space. Mm-hmm. Is is not really a shock you in the face kind of movie, but it does it. It's it's almost like. It's almost cheap. Right. I, I, re- I highly suggest you guys listen to the Now Playing Podcast review yeah. of The Shining. Mm-hmm. We need to get them to pay us for, <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. running them so much. I do need to listen to their podcast. I really want to. Um, I was going to say something else, but oh, crap. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, uh, it's worth mentioning the Scatman Crothers death scene. Um, I don't know how true this is. I And I'm almost... It's. I mean, as much as I love Damon Lindelof, I'm almost it's almost to the point where I can say that it's probably not true. Um, but on the Nerdist podcast, uh, Damon Lindelof was talking about how in the shining, uh, the shining movie came out like a year or two before, uh, um, King published misery. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I guess apparently like in, 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 the Shining, the book, Scatman Crothers' character doesn't die. Halloran doesn't die. Uh-huh. Um, it's a w- hit with a mallet, croquet mallet. Right, right. but he, but he doesn't die. And right. uh, the the thing that um, Damon Lindelof said was that 
Um, Stephen King liked that aspect of the Shining movie so much that he put that into Misery and had like the sheriff come by to, uh, or someone come by to check on what's her name and got him killed. Um, so I don't know if that's true or not, just knowing that he hates the movie. But I thought that was an interesting little piece of possible trivia. Yeah. Hmm. And I just wanted to say something on the the, the perceived uh, genius of Kubrick, because mm-hmm. I think people sort of... People, people obviously misuse that term all the time. Right. But I think you're talking about two different kinds of genius. I think people point to him as an artistic genius, mm-hmm. which I, I think he's... He's pretty close to that, mm-hmm. um, but he he was a definitive genius. Like the guy had an IQ that was almost two hundred. Um, he was remarkably intelligent, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that that's something you have to address. But at the same time, that level of intelligence doesn't always mean you're a good artist. Yeah, uh, it just right. means it just means you can do math really fast or whatever. Yeah, right, right, uh, you right. Know, whatever. But but I think. I think there are some things that he he achieved that were very close to, if not perfection. Like I think the the tracking shots in in this movie, especially the ones where he's you know following Danny on the uh, on his uh, his uh, trike, big wheel, big wheel. There you go. Thank you. Um, those are That's man, crazy. those are like perfect. I, I really think no, they're no. they're just remarkable. Um, and you could say the same thing for some of the tracking shots in Eyes Wide Shut, uh, which is a very panned movie. It's it's not a good movie, but uh, some of the things in the film are done well. So, um, I, I think the reason why people just, I think the reason why people pick Kubrick movies apart is because he is, he was sort of labeled as a perfectionist. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's, there's it's almost these... yeah, it's like he invites the scrutiny. Exactly. That's right, and and his 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 movies are they look like they have layers upon layers upon layers layers, and there's so much subtext there. But I'm just not sure that that was really his intention when he was making some of these films. Um, right, and he he was such a reclusive guy. We don't really know because he, you know, <laughs> he I think he made a um, uh, Full Metal Jacket in '87, and then he didn't make another movie for 12 years. Yeah, you know, Eyes Wide Shut came out in '99, and then he died after I think that before that even hit theaters. Yeah, I think so. Um, so he, you know, we don't really know what the guy's intentions were a lot of the times. Um, even if you, that's why I think people crave, uh, people crave, um, what am I trying to say here? Um, there's yeah. a new box, a new Blu-ray box set coming out for Kubrick and there's like two new documentaries on <sighs> yeah. there. And, and the thing is like, it's 95% of it is going to be other people talking about him because right. the guy just didn't do interviews. He didn't divulge, uh, details, um, people crave the opportunity to provide analysis on things. Right. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. 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 Um, and also just, just real quick, um, to the performances, um, Wendy Shelley Duvall was not the right actress to, for this part, obviously, but also she's not the right actress to work with someone like Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Notoriously hard to work with. Uh, she was exhausted by the halfway point of the movie, uh, yeah. which they filmed chronologically, if you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Right. And so she, she just wasn't the right person for this role, and I think a lot of people have issues working with Stanley Kubrick. So I can't fault her too much, but still, she you know you have to learn to adapt to what you're what you're given. Right. Um. And also, uh, Matt said how much he likes uh, Jack Nicholson in this. I, I think he's a tad over the top throughout a lot of it. I'm not real crazy about his performance in it. I don't. 
I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, there's right. plenty of stuff that's terrific, but um, I just think he's a little over the top in some of it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, and I don't know that, well, maybe Matt is talking about the quality of the performance. The quality of the performance is there. He, it's, a, it's a serviceable job, but right. uh, there is, it is objectively iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the quality I'm talking about when you talk about, you know, what's so good about it. It's, it's, it's iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, man, yeah, they should, they should pay me a few quarters. Those guys <laughs> that are now playing, they have an interesting theory that, um, in context, when The Shining came out, The Shining, as Stanley Kubrick's Shining, is, uh, is, he is Jack Torrance, right? And he is struggling to, continue to make work that is relevant um and he is trying to figure out what he wants to be right because the shining came out just after like his best work it's like at the end of his best work Mm -hmm. when all that stuff came out Mm -hmm. uh and so he's jack torrance trying to kind of um you know work things out with his dad i don't remember exactly what that's about but listen to the podcast uh and also (laughs) kind of take out his frustrations on danny and Wendy Shelley Duvall, um, and also just to say that you know, uh, haven't written anything good yet. You know, just kind of working his way through writer's block. It's an interesting theory, and I don't know how yeah. much weight it holds. But then there's also the theory that Room Two Thirty Seven puts forth, saying that it's a, uh, it's all a, a ruse to tell people that he faked the moon landing. There's that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, I I don't know that there's a whole lot more to say. Uh, yeah, I think we may have I think we may have covered it. Yeah, I, I think, think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Matt, did you say if it's scarier than scarier than uh, The Exorcist? I didn't. Um, oh, where do you rank it? I, I, you don't have to give me an exact number because I know that nobody keeps lists like I keep lists. <laughs> right. But uh, is it a is it a top five? Is it a top ten? Is it a top twenty horror movie? Uh, top ten, definitely. Okay. Um, and I don't know. It's been so long since I've seen The Exorcist. Man, if I would have went to that midnight screening last night, I totally would have had a better answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I think I would go with it being. The Exorcist being more scary, but me having a bigger appreciation of it as a movie than I do of The Exorcist. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. And plus, enough. that's such a subjective question. <laughs> right. Is it the is. Yeah, movie? it totally yeah. is. Yeah, my mom uh, saw, she saw The Exorcist in the theater when it came out, and she almost got kicked out because she was laughing, laughing at it the whole time. <laughs> like, she didn't find it scary at all. That's so awesome. So your mom's a freak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's good. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Matt won. Oh, thank you. No, I, thank you, Tiny. I, you know, I don't think we had a clear enough uh, thesis for the actual debate. I don't think so either. It wasn't, it wasn't really like, hey, Matt thinks it's perfect and Mike thinks it's awful. Yeah. You, know, you both kind of just had middling opinions. Yeah. If we had right. diff- if, if our opinions were at the opposite ends of a, of a spectrum, we would, we would have had a uh, bigger right. things to say about it. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, well, there you go. There's yeah. the shining. Yeah, we're at an hour twenty three. So, should we forego wrap it up? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm. Hang on. Well, I'm getting pretty pruney, so. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> we should. Uh, yeah, I guess we should wrap it up. Um. Yeah. Anything else, you guys? Anything you guys want to mention? 
Mm, I don't mm. think so. Yeah, cool. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Uh, don't really know how to end it now because we have pre-recorded yeah, <laughs> outros now. Um, yeah. Uh, just just so you guys know. Uh, before we get into the pre- pre-recorded outro, it's a new thing. We're, we're working on it. Um, if you like us, let everyone know, please. And also on the blog coming up, we've got uh, just this week, We I, I, I reviewed uh, Men, Women, and Children. And uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday, depending on when I released that, I uh, posted my series finale review of Boardwalk Empire which Tiny and I will be discussing in a bonus episode in a week or two. Um, yeah, and then I'm going to be knocking out some decade reviews here pretty soon after Sharktober is over and done with. So look forward to that. Which, by the way, are hilarious. Oh, Those nice. are so fun to read. Thank you. <laughs> They're supposed to be super serious and... <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> and introspective. Oh, my... Dude, I'm so... I'm terrified for when I get to my uh, M. Night Shyamalan ones. Oh yeah, because you want to talk about but hey, people. Miss- listen, they are they are from a time exactly. Like all I'm saying is, that if you want to see people misuse the word genius, wait until you read my reviews <laughs> oh, of M Night no, Shyamalan from awesome. ten years ago. <laughs> it's more of an insight into you, yep, as a person than it is the actual movies. <laughs> it really yeah. is, which which I love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Think I when does a, that come out? Uh, the decade reviews of M Night Shyamalan movies. Yeah. Oh, that's that's gonna be in a month or so. Because you're are running out of time for it to be a decade review, I, aren't you? Oh, oh, Mike. Oh, Mike. Yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have a schedule listed, so hopefully I'm gonna I'm trying to adhere to the schedule more. Um, now that we're super uh, official, having hosted a live event, <laughs> but I have six. Uh, I have I'm not sure I'm on movies for the end of December, so they'll be like one of the last ones. Oh um, man, I know. I know. So yeah. Wait. Yeah. Alright, well thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, thank guys. you. By the way, that's a place for me to stop. Amanda wants me to kill a centipede. Can you give me like two seconds? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Did you get it? Okay, here we go. Ready? <laughs> yeah. Did the dog get it? No. I, that's why I was yelling at Kevin. I was like, this is your job. Okay. I heard you say Kevin. I was like, okay. Sorry. <laughs> that is totally the tag for this episode, by the way. <laughs> What's that? This, this whole, this entire thing. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, oh, could you, like, hear me the whole time? Some of it. Very faintly, but... Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. As always, thank you for listening to the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Thank you to Loud Like for providing our awesome opening theme music. Their first EP is called Mistakes We Must Make and features our theme song and Eclipse of Events. Please head over to iTunes and download their album. While you're there, make sure to give us a rate and a review. It helps us climb the podcast charts, and we really appreciate feedback. Speaking of feedback, please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer and follow each of us on Twitter. 
You can find me, Tiny, at Obsessive Tiny. Matt is at Obsessive Viewer. And Mike is at I am Mike White. You can also check out the blog at ObsessiveViewer.com, where we, but mostly Matt, review movies, TV shows, and comment on the industry as a whole. While you're web surfing, please head over to our sister site, ObsessiveBookNerd.com, where we review books and comment on the ever-evolving world of reading. If you're philosophically curious, please go explore my side project, The Secular Perspective Podcast, which is a show that explores the concept of faith, religion, and existence from a secular perspective. If you have any thoughts on the podcast or suggestions for future episodes, you can also email us individually at matttinyormike at obsessiveviewer.com or email the podcast directly at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Thanks for joining us today, and please come back.